Here we are recording. So this is my little message to everybody that always let your mind seek a solution. Don't freak out if you can't find a solution because this is my small solution story. So over last week, I had four transformational breathwork journeys scheduled, and all of them are very important to me. All of them are always important to me. These were particularly important ones to me. And where I usually guide journeys is in the guest bedroom because I need to be very isolated. Wait, 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 wait. Just back up for a second so that everyone who's listening understands she's not like doing these in her bedroom on her bed with people because people might... What? They heard what they that's heard that. your mind. <laughs> Maybe that's where my brain just went. So I guide people right now. I'm guiding people via Zoom as Gina and I are now, which I can also be like in the middle of my workout because I just got done at the gym and I'm this is the real me. If you're looking at the video, this is how I normally look. <laughs> so anyway, I usually go and close myself off in the bedroom so I can be secluded and concentrate fully on the person that I'm guiding. And my mother-in-law was staying with us, so she was in the guest bedroom. So I had no other place. I'm like, and one of the journeys was like 7 a.m. on Saturday. So everybody was going to be sleeping. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And I'm out now in my little workout room. I was laying in bed on Thursday night. And I just thought, I I let my brain just go. I knew I'd find a solution somehow if I had to go buy a desk. Well, I remember this piece of wood, this random piece of wood that was literally sitting at the bottom of the stairs to the garage. I don't even know what how it got there. Felix was like, oh, yeah, good. I'm glad you're using that because it was leftover from something. I don't even know what. And I remembered this piece of wood. And I have these two parallettes that I do like balance work on. They're kind of like hip level parallettes. And this piece of wood is like perfect. It's, I put it on top and I have a little desk. And I just, I just, that it's like, sometimes if you just let your brain go and wander, the solution will come to you because all solutions are within you if you're open to finding them. And that's part of what breathwork is all about, right, Gina? Yeah, well, I add something to that that might sound contrary. Really, I think it's an add-on because I am dealing with a challenge right now that you're aware of that I'm not talking about right now at this moment that is troublesome. And I've been in these peaks and valleys with it. And yesterday I went into a really severe valley with it for reasons I'm just not ready to talk about. And I I was really trying to tap into the emotionality of it. And of course, it was making David a little frustrated because I was going to a negative place and I know better and I know better to like go to a positive place and to have a positive mindset. And so I just started questioning like, what is the problem here that I am struggling to get to a positive mindset, which I normally can do very quickly because I have come through all kinds of challenges in my life. And I've overcome some incredible challenges. And clearly, I mean, you got a glimpse of that by leading me through a breath work. And then, of course, I journaled about it, about just a trauma. And I'm just, I'm so into the trauma thing and I've been doing a lot of research on it. And what I was able to come up with is that my struggle is the fact that I cannot come up with a solution. 
in this moment yet yet that but that's an important thing to note because for anyone listening normally i'm like yeah there's a solution for everything but then when you're in a really bad place hearing that there's a solution for everything you're just not jiving to it whatsoever so well sometimes and this is important i just had a discussion with someone yesterday as well for a similar like knowing what i know about you is kind of similar but not similar situation everybody's situation is unique when and this is actually like alcoholics anonymous recovery program shit right here that if you don't know what to do then don't do anything yet the solution will arrive when you are ready the teacher arrives when you when the student is ready the pathway opens when the time is right and sometimes it's just not quite the time Now you're super low. I can't hear you very well. I'm playing with my with my I'm playing with my knobs here. Ooh, How, she's playing uh, with her knobs. How's that? Is that better? That's perfect. Okay. <sighs> I just had to I just had to recalibrate the volume knobs. Yeah. So we have to wait for the solution. The other part of that is you and I talked about have talked about this a million times. Just do the next thing. And that's the state I got to. But I needed to understand where my emotions were coming from, which is crazy Mm. because doing all this trauma work (laughs) or trauma research, I realized that some of the things that have happened in my childhood actually contribute to how you manage your emotions. And for anyone who is emotional, right, that could be what's going on with you is that you have this unresolved trauma and so you don't know how to regulate emotion. And so because my int- emotional intelligence is is pretty high, I think, because I'm constantly practicing things to keep it high or to improve it, I spent some significant time yesterday just diving into why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And it was because I couldn't control it. I'm in a place of I cannot control what is going on in this moment. I cannot get an answer in this moment. I have to wait for a series of appointments to find out more information. And so that that inability to control the journey and the path of this problem I'm trying to solve is super frustrating. Maybe it's a control issue. <laughs> no, <laughs> what I was thinking actually, well, yeah, this is what came up for me. What I was thinking as you were talking is, and this is actually not me thought. This is Gabor Mate thought. I'm reading the the myth of normal right now. This mind blowing material. I highly recommend anything by Gabor Mate. He mentions and you said if you are a sensitive or emotional person, be a sensitive and emotional person. Let the feelings come. What we are taught as children is a construct of society that you shouldn't get angry. You shouldn't cry. You shouldn't be emotional. You shouldn't be mad. You shouldn't be impatient. You shouldn't be this and you shouldn't be that. And so we, what we learn as children is we learn to stuff our feelings. And so what you might have been feeling yesterday, Gina, and just this conjecture, just what I've been reading about, is you might just be so used to stuffing your feelings that you just didn't want to feel it. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you were feeling it and leaning into the feeling of it. So you could, we can't get rid of these traumatic emotions, these sensitive feelings, these things that we feel unless we lean into it. 
my master teacher at Breathmaster says, you have to feel it to heal it. You've got to feel it. And things that trigger us, we tend to go, oh God, here comes that again and stuff it back down. And what it is, it's an emotion that wants to be seen and wants to be heard. It wants to be felt. And we're afraid of that because, and it's not even your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault out there. It's your upbringing. It's your parents' upbringing. It's the way that society is constructed around us that we're supposed to teach our children to not show emotion. It's you're supposed to work into the workplace and you're not supposed to cry there when you're upset. It's a place where you're not supposed to feel hurt when you're fucking hurt. And let's bust out of that cage. Yeah. Morning tirades by Rachel. (laughs) Morning trauma tirades. So I'm super excited. Gina and I, Gina was curious enough to take a transformational breathwork journey with me last weekend following our episode that we did about breathwork. And now Gina has some experience with what exactly a transformational breathwork journey. We didn't even hardly talk afterwards. Usually I spend a lot of time. We spend some time afterwards. I like to spend time with individuals to help integrate or if something really comes up that I need to encourage them to see a therapist about, that's important. But we, I kind of was like, don't tell me too much because let's put it on the podcast. So tell me, Gina, now I'm like reverse interviewing here. <laughs> it's so funny because I meant to okay? message you. Yeah, I meant to message you this morning to say, oh, by the way, you're interviewing me. Okay, great. So yeah. good. I knew it. So first of all, from your perspective, Gina, what would you say a transformational breathwork journey is? I guess the first thing that comes to mind is like a fucking journey you don't expect. That would be the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, Can that, I quote that? A fucking yeah, journey you won't expect? That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Every now and then I've got we've gotten away from dropping the F-bomb, but every now and then it is warranted. The reason why I wanted to do this, like when I got done with that journey with you, I'm like, can we podcast about this immediately? Because your episode on breathwork had just run last week. And I thought this is perfect timing. I've already alerted the team that I've changed up the schedule for the episodes coming out because I thought this was perfect for it to follow the actual last episode. And the reason why I think it's important is because I think anyone who listens to the last episode that might have any level of skepticism, such as myself, so let me get transparent, was a little skeptical. I wasn't going to tell you that. And I thought, man, this would be really good to do an episode on it for a couple reasons. A, I'm woo, definitely woo. And I've usually been more woo than you. And then all of a sudden now you have surpassed me in woo, which I'm thrilled for you. I'm thrilled because you haven't been very much of a woo person. You're just give me the facts. I'm still not actually, but I'm becoming, I'm evolving. You Uh, are. Well, you're definitely more woo than you've ever been because I'm, who is this person? She's different. You still got your roughness. I mean that in a good way, but yeah, yeah, you got your guns there. But I was proud. I was a little skeptical going in. But I'm always, like a child, curious. I'm always curious. And I think that's served me really well through my life of, eh, I kind of doubt it, but I'm going to try it anyway, because that's a yes and mindset. And so I wanted to experience, because I also wanted to help support you. I wanted to understand where you were coming from. And you gave me these 
four different paths to choose. And I typed up all my journal notes and the printer ran out of paper, so I don't have it. Would you like to hear the core four for our audience? In a second, we'll come to that. So I chose the one of the four was trauma. And I'm like, I chose that one because you and I have been having a lot of conversations about trauma and because this is helping me in writing my book on creativity and sales. And I'm a huge believer in that what happens in our childhood, especially during the formative years between three and 11, really impacts how we show up in the world and how we show up in our jobs. And I never realized how much emotional trauma I had because of my mother, because my mother was so emotionally abusive. But to me, that was my norm. And I haven't even, through all the therapy I've been in, I haven't even really truly understood the level of abuse until lately when you and I have been having trauma discussions. And I started sharing different stories with you where you're like, what? And I'm like, that's not normal. That's not normal what my mother did. What? But so emotionally abusive, the things that she, don't cry because now I'm going to cry, but the things that that have happened to me. So I wanted to do the trauma one because I wanted to see what would come of it. And it rocked me. Like it rocked me and it surprised me. Like there were, it's not like, you know, I've also talked about how there are parts of our childhood that we can't remember and that can be repressed, right? Issues. But things that came up were things that I hadn't forgotten. I just didn't spotlight or give significance to them. And so those things came up through that breath work. Now, going into it, again, skepticism, but open-minded. And then the first like 10 minutes of breathing, I'm like, when the hell does this thing transform? That was what was going on in my mind in the first 10 minutes. I'm like, breathe in, breathe out, fill up, let out. I was like, and I'm playing. I did with- warn you about that. I did yeah, warn you. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so, and then as you had me conjure up these memories, shit came to the surface that I didn't realize the significance of those things that happened in my life and how they impacted me which shook me, which created unexpected crying at the end, crying that I couldn't stop. And then to the positive of it, we can can go deeper. I'll let you interview me eventually. We can go deeper into those. But then to the positive, when you had me conjure up the a time when I felt true unconditional love. Okay. Remember when I opened this podcast with, you have to feel your feelings and it's okay. And everybody out there listening understands the feeling that you're feeling. So feel it. So it was so crazy how an image came to my mind so quickly of the first time I felt unconditional love, which was only a year ago at age 54. Right? Like I was happy and joyful. And yet, wow, it took 54 years to feel that. God, I hope people can get to that way sooner. Mm -hmm. I really do. And then what inspires me, the thought that came up was, and it came really fast, um, is a keynote presentation I gave earlier this year that I got off that stage and I was like, fuck, I am good. 
I'm not just good. I'm fucking amazing at what I do and how I connect with people. I am good. And I think that's important because we spend so much time in imposter syndrome and not giving ourselves credit for the things that we do because we hear all this outside bullshit noise that gets in the way of it. And you had mentioned this to me earlier about these imprints of like, we don't remember those happy days and we don't remember our wedding day. And that was the memory that came to me was my wedding day, my second wedding, just to be clear. To my second husband, current husband, my current husband, my last husband. And then the having that image of me coming off that stage because I love what I do and I love having impact on people and it drives me and the adrenaline rush of it, of having the impact. God, that I should continue to live in that moment to catapult me further. But we do get stuck in the negative shit and we forget these positive moments because we bury those too. Because we are in a society where, what did you do for me lately, right? You can have an amazing day. You could be in sales generating, closing a bunch of deals, but they don't matter tomorrow. They don't matter tomorrow. It's what did you do for me today? And so that causes us to not appreciate ourselves and our value. And when we live in that, then we can be more successful. All right, I'm off my bandwagon. No, it's great. Now you can take over. No, I was trying to shut the fuck up so you could talk. So side note, I think we need to do the journey for awakening next. Yeah, I'm going to do them all. I'm doing them all. So part of... I'm in. So just so you listeners know, what I offer is I can do a one-on-one session with you, but what's really valuable is to commit to a full month of work with me so you can do one journey a week of my core four journeys so you can go deeper. The really amazing thing about the human spirit, oh my God, I have so much to unpack about what you just said. But the really amazing thing is you can be someone super awakened. Like the night before I guided Gina, I guided a couple and they're very awakened people. They're super duper woo times a thousand. They're into all of this self-discovery and manifesting greatness and all this. So I was a little apprehensive going into it of like, what are they going to feel? Let me tell you what, that girl was shook to the core until the next day was texting me like when I started the journey with Gina, the things that came up for her. So even if you feel fully awakened, if you've never experienced breath work, it's pretty much the most psychedelic thing you can experience without putting any substance into your body. So now let's unpack what Gina had to say. There was a lot. Good luck. (laughs) There was a lot. So I'm going to try to go from beginning to end. So number one, in my introduction, when I speak, and there's a lot in the introduction to try to let you know what you're going to experience, what to expect, what is common, what to not freak out about. And one of the most common things is exactly what Gina said in the first 10 minutes or so. You're like, breathe in, breathe out. What the fuck is this? This is stupid. I have to pee. Why did I even sign up for this? Why am I? This is dumb. (laughs) This is too hard. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Why should we do this? Who? This is so stupid. Like, this is your monkey mind that if you read any one of Jeb Blunt's books, he talks a lot about this amygdala and this monkey mind thing. It's a real thing. It's your prefrontal cortex. It is 500 million years old in the evolution of 
neuro, like neurology of your brain science and what it is there to protect you. It's there to make you run away, to be like, Mr. <laughs> to run away from anything that is uncomfortable. It's where your ego lies, all the things. And when we do breath work, once you breathe, we're breathing a lot more than you, you're not, <laughs> you're always breathing. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're probably breathing. It's an autonomic function. And it's the only autonomic function in the body that you can actually control. So when we do a breathwork, trans- transformational breathwork journey, we breathe a lot deeper and a lot faster than your normal everyday living breath. So what happens after 10 or 15 minutes, you shift into transient hypofrontality, which I mentioned in the last podcast, but that is what you experience, Eugenia. You're like, when's the magic going to happen? And then, boom the beat drop literally and you go into a different brain state i've got a really cool graphic somewhere that's the different brain states of like beta alpha beta theta brain state is the slower it's a slower brain state so you ever want you ever notice gina when you're like going slow and you're not in a rush things that sometimes felt overwhelming don't feel so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's because you're moving slower. And what we are taught, especially in today's world, is go faster, do more, do better, do more, put more in more, do more in less time. But really, it's harder, not smarter. And slower, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So once we shift out of the prefrontal cortex into the rest of the 95% of your subconscious mind, that's really causing you to show up who you are. You're more susceptible to positive input, which during the journey, you kind of go into this, Gina mentioned, and when we finished the session, it's kind of like a montage, kind of like watching a movie of your life kind of flipping before your eyes. All these crazy images. Yep. It is that. And I am responsibly feeding you positive subconscious words. You probably didn't catch everything I was saying, and that's fine because your subconscious is kind of catching it while you're watching this movie. And what happens is all of these things that happen to us in our life, in our past lives, I've got some pretty crazy past life stories from this week from some journeys I led, which is just fascinating. But let's stick with just you. Okay. So all the things that you experience and some of the things that Gina has shared with me that she conjured up in her conscious mind are just so astound, like staggeringly intensely, overwhelmingly sad to me. And they are normal for Regina in her growing up existence. What happens is you don't forget. You actually don't forget it. It just goes, it's part of the polyvagal theory that I got into a little bit before. You're only capable of so much stress and trauma, especially as a small child, because you cannot possibly figure out what is going on because you you don't have the brain capacity to go, oh, well, she's an alcoholic or he mom and dad are fighting or she just had a surgery or she just got fired. You're just going, what did I do wrong? And it's too much to take. And we stuff the memory, we stuff the emotion and we go back and play Barbies. We're like, ah, I can't even, oh, let's play Barbies. Barbies make sense. That's what happens. So you don't actually forget your body remembers Your body is what takes this trauma so your mind can continue marching forward. This is where 
tension and disease even that I'm reading. Like there's yep. crazy re- research. Just search Gabor Mate and start reading and g- just join me when you're ready. Like there's disease. There's all there's just so much manifest inside your body because of trauma. Well, what you just described, how that manifests in, into adulthood in your behavior. So if you think about like everything that I've read on trauma, because of what I had been through, I have a tendency to run. I have a tendency to shut down. And that is exactly what a child does in trauma. They shut down because they don't have the skill set to deal with it. But then you that imprints and then you carry it with you into adulthood. And then you wonder why some of these people are conflict avoidant. And I don't know. I just continue. And it doesn't have to be a child. I was talking with someone recently. I'm going to keep everybody as anonymous as possible because I'm very open right now. Like, don't give a fuck how I show up and look because it's so not important. I just want to be there for people. This person shared with me her father shot himself. And she said, and she was 21. She knew it was going to happen. Trauma, huge trauma. A young lady I was speaking to yesterday whose mother is mentally ill, is completely just not, she's not bad. She's just sick. It's, and this young woman, that's what she finds is normal. And I keep saying to, and I was listening to, on my way over to meet with this young lady, I was listening to Gabo Ormate stuff and he talked about, and you can see it really well when Robin Williams is talking to, what's his face, Damon or whatever his name on Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yeah, and yeah. he's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And that's when he finally breaks down because guess what out there listening? It's not your fault. And it's not even fair to blame your parents because they, it's not their fault. It's what came down generationally, like the things that that Gina's mom, that she, Gina and I have discussed that she did, it's because that's what happened to her. And so that's normal. Just for the listeners as an example, my mother, having come to this country from Germany after World War II, growing up in a very religious family, Growing up in the 50s as a teenager, I just kind of paint that picture. She really struggled to adapt. She didn't even speak the language when she came here. And long story short, she had gone to a school counselor to share the abuse she was experiencing at home. And ultimately what happened is the counselors came to my grandparents' home and told them that my mother was a bad girl and took her away to like some kind of tough love kind of camp. And my mother was locked in a closet for a weekend. And I didn't learn this until 2016 when she was in the hospital for an aortic aneurysm, which was a life and death situation. And I noticed her, how claustrophobic she was every time they would close the sliding glass door of her ICU room and she would literally gasp physically and like open the door and then finally told me the story behind it. And I didn't put two and two together until recently because my mother used to lock me up all the time. 
It's okay. And that has such an impact in so many ways, right? The abandonment, the rejection, all those things. But that's what happened to her. And so she just did what she knew how to do. Yeah. She didn't know how to cope in motherhood. And so that's how she did it, right? And so that, I just, I wanted to share that as an example. Yeah. That that was, I shared that story with you and you were like, what? I'm like, that was my normal. That's not normal. Mothers didn't lock children in rooms and lock it with a key and you couldn't get out. That's not normal. It was my normal. No. There's a really powerful example in the documentary that we shared in the previous episode that is worth mentioning again, the wisdom of trauma that Gabor Mott. They're at a prison and I'll paraphrase this because he just, it's so vulnerable. This guy, they're talking to these inmates about the commonality that they had amongst these individuals that were incarcerated that they'd been through all this childhood trauma. And this guy says, he says, he was a black American and he said, I never really thought there was much truth to the fact that like rape, slavery and all that stuff oh, had yeah, to do with yeah. current modern day racism. Yeah. And to you, you talked about this today. Like I was remembering my mother whipping me with a bullwhip. He said his yeah. mother used to whip him with a bullwhip and all the while say, I love you. I'm sorry. I love you. And whip him with a bullwhip in modern day. And he said, it's because that's what her mother did. And that's what her mother did. And that's what her mother did. And that's what her mother did. Ladies and gentlemen, we had 300 years slaves were being dragged from their country over to our country. And it hasn't been 300 years yet since slavery has been abolished. And these people, like it's they, it's it's the most traumatic thing I can even imagine. And yet his mother was doing it to him because that's what she knew. Yeah. And that's what's so, I really, I'm so deep down this rabbit hole because I believe it's what's wrong with so many people in society that it's, and here's the, a good takeaway. When you're faced with someone doing some fucked up shit, whether it be like just being impatient and standing in line or they're treating you like garbage, instead of asking what is wrong with you, what the fuck is wrong with you? Soften your heart and ask yourself, Oh my God, what happened to you? Yeah. What happened to you to make you this way? And as if you take that approach, you can peel it back. You can peel it back like the way that people act. The way that people act, like in, in this case, this young lady I was talking with yesterday, and then I spoke with her father, and he and like certain behaviors that her mother is doing, I see her doing, and you just see it again. And like my own child, my child is struggling at 14 with the same things I was struggling with when I was 14. It's so hard to unravel it. And yet you can unravel it when you see it. And the unraveling of the things that happened to Gina in her childhood is what is going to allow her to live a, a more enhanced experience of her life. I don't want to say a better. I want to say a more enhanced experience of life and evolution moving forward through life. This goes back to the importance of emotional intelligence. And I've been fascinated about this topic for probably 10 years and started really following emotional intelligence. I even, through leadership training that I had done at one time, used trigger exercises without even knowing the deeper 
information on trauma. I had just done a lot of research on, oh, when you feel upset, why, right? Someone said or did something to you and what did that bring up? And, and I've done it I've where I've just scratched the surface of that. But that is when people are reactionary, there is something deeper going on that's usually personal, right? So if you think about it's always personal, right? right? If we connect it back to sales, like if we went the sales route, right? It's not just about our customers, our prospects having like they are reactionary because of their amygdala. Think about when you can't get a prospect to just come right out and like, hey, dude, just say yes or no. Are you in or are you out? And they ghost you and they won't give you an answer. Well, it's because they fear rejection from you that you won't like them when they give you an answer you don't want to hear. And so that could be a reason why they're ghosting you. And then from a seller's perspective, we are reacting to the rejection also because of the imprint in our DNA going back to evolutionary times and cavemen and all that. But there's also something that has happened either in your life or your mother's life or your grandmother's life or your great-grandmother's life that has been passed down that is having an impact of why you do what you do. And to your point, I think we have to be more aware and kind and realize that people's reactions usually have nothing to do with you. And how many times have you guys out there heard that? But yet it's so true. It's yeah. so true. That's so definitely such a good point, Gina. So let's talk about the the how you brought me through each one in okay, that. So that's funny that you, because I brought, I just pulled up the text that I sent you with the yeah, five yeah. primary trauma imprints. Yeah. So we're so jiving. I know. So we're so connected, even though I broke up with you several times. I keep taking <laughs> you back. She does. She keeps mm. taking me back because I'm such a broken soul. So well, thank my mother for her emotional abuse that I have that defect that I keep. You're used to me abusing you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks, mom. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, and also just to point out on the coattails of that, that every fucked up thing that you do in your life, every fucked up thing that we do in our lives, we orchestrated that for ourselves because it worked at the time and it was necessary at the time Correct. that we started it. It doesn't mean that it serves you in this all the situations anymore, but just so you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just what you needed to do to survive. So the five primary trauma imprints are number one, premature separation of love. This one I find like I had to, when I first heard this, I had to pull over the side of the road and just think about it for a while. Cause I was like, wait, what? That the first separation of love that happens to us is at birth. That you're, and we talked about this the last time briefly, you're in the womb, everything's cool, it's warm and fuzzy, it's like you're getting everything provided for you, and then you shop through this dark hole, and you're out in this bright white light, and then they rip, cut your life cord in half, and they turn you upside down, slap you on the ass, and they're like, all right, good luck. And then usually, if you're lucky, they place you on the breast of your mother, which in my case, they didn't do with Roxy, they took her away for two hours. And then... After, if you get to be snuggled, which is the only thing that you care about, then you get stuck in the maternity ward overnight in a little plastic bed with a bunch of other screaming kids who wish they had their mommy too. So no matter what, in, unless you decide to go with 
a home birth, which at this point I highly recommend. And any midwives that work in today's world are also very safe and they know when to take you to the hospital. But it's a home birth, a natural birth is what we are made for. Being scheduled for a C-section and have your child cut out of you is not normal. It is not absolutely normal at all. And anyhow, I, I mean, go if down you, the total if you rabbit go, hole for I mean, that, but. Seriously, if you go back to, I'm into all those period pieces back in the monarchy days and medieval times and things like that. Back in the day of like, not even that long ago when midwives were really prevalent, right? Like babies were born and stayed with their mothers and it was already traumatic enough coming out, but they had that. And uh, another thing that came to mind, I don't know if I told you this, but I've read references to Dr. Spock in many things about child trauma. Oh, yeah. I was part of a Dr. Spock study. Ooh. Yeah. I can't remember much more about it. And now that my mother's gone, I can't access that information. But I was part of a Dr. Spock study. And if so you were part of it, you can access it. It's you can access it wherever it is. Just saying. Okay, I got to figure out where how to research get how. Yeah, let's get yeah. in on that. I'll so, so I was part of a Doctor Spock study. So go look up Doctor Spock and not Star not Star Trek Doctor Spock, but baby baby Doctor Spock. This concept of let the baby cry, let the baby cry, and let them figure it out. Right? There are studies now that say maybe that's not such a good idea. But my mother was a huge subscriber to Dr. Spock, clearly, because I was part of a study. I was one of the babies being observed <laughs> in that. So I don't know if you want to touch on that, but, you know, even some of that stuff as a baby, like, let your baby cry. Yeah, it's totally not the right. If you actually. So first of all, let me give your mom credit for the fact that it's fucking hard to be a parent. And we would love an instruction book. And Dr. Spock wrote an instruction book. Yeah. And so people are like, okay, good, because I don't know what I'm doing at all. You do know what you're doing. You inherently, intuitively know because nature and the God that you are comfortable, the God that you see as your God, whatever that is, whatever form that is, created your intuition so you would know. So just saying, trust your gut. But it is like an instruction book because boy it's hard so yes a lot of that stuff is like i'm trying to think of it because i just heard something about it that it's very much like don't let that child take over his selfish needs but that's the only needs that a child a baby has they just want to be held and they want to be loved i could i did a total of one times did i put roxy in the crib and try to let them fall like cry themselves to sleep i couldn't take it and thank god i didn't because that's one thing I did right, which was I rocked that child to sleep just about every night for years. And I've come back to it because that's what they need right now. So premature separation of love is that first time that you were separated from what felt natural and warm and loving. And it's interesting stuff that I've been reading about addiction lately because I'm 11 years sober and addiction is very an important topic to me. The feeling that like... Jamie Lee Curtis is the one that that Gabor Mate quoted first that when she did heroin, it was like this warm blanket that your mom put around you and you mm. just felt so warm and loved. That right there is the fucking basis of addiction and mm. what all of us are seeking, whether it be drugs, 
alcohol, whether it be porn, whether it be shopping, whether it be overeating. Yep. Food. All things you're seeking. I mean, there's literally love junkies. Terrible relationships. You're seeking that love. Every single one of us was born. You had to be created by a woman's body and you were born. So that one we all have. Boom. Right. Primary abandonment is the first time that you felt abandoned. And this is what, Gina, you mentioned when you were talking about that one scenario that came up for you. That feeling of abandonment where you were left behind. Maybe you got lost. I remember I got lost in Disney World at once. And like Abraham Lincoln from the pre- the Hall of Presidents helped me find my mom. <laughs> I'll never. It's so vivid. Yet I can't remember a lot of my childhood, but I remember Abraham Lincoln like kindly helping me back. And it could be any time when you were abandoned some there's kids out there their parents had to go to work and they were very young and they left them alone there's just whatever i had a bunch of memories come up on abandonment and i was like struggling to pick the primary one but the one that like was the the sharpest in my mind again a little more unexpected because there were definitely lots of moments of abandonment especially with my mother but what came out of this was a lot of my abandonment issues are connected to my father So his death was a major abandonment issue for me at age 22. So not necessarily a childhood abandonment. It was losing my father at 22, but I lost more than my father. I lost everything. I actually was writing about this yesterday in my book that because the book I'm writing is based on our life wheel, right? And in the section of home, I'm like really working out this piece like and a lot of this I tie back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So when you look at we need safety and we need food and we need water and we need home and security. I've confused home in some situations of is it a physical home that I need that I've been searching for decades and I talk about it in my book um, or is it really the feeling of a safety? And so when my father died, all of the safety went away because he protected me from my mother and brother. (laughs) So that was the prevalent one that came up for abandonment. Just letting my, I'm just letting myself open to everybody here on this episode. It's, we've got to be more open. There's nothing, what you're hiding is what is killing you. Just so you know, out there. Yeah. Just take that with you. So the next one is primary rejection. Mm -hmm. That was also like the same feeling you were describing to me in that scenario. And rejection could be when you were a little child and you had a crush on somebody and they rejected you. There's a lot of there's a lot of points in the rejection trauma that have to do with sexuality and rejection there. Rejection. Not not getting picked to be on a team. Right. Rejection. And a lot of kids have it. And thank God my kid doesn't. But. Like you want to be an artist and your parents are like, you're not going to be an artist. That's you won't make any money to be a fucking artist. You're going to be a doctor. So that's my that's also rejecting who you authentically are. And we are taught to reject who we authentically are because of society again. Yeah. My mother was really good at telling me what I couldn't do and Mm. couldn't be. Yeah. Primary shaming ties in with that. That's the next one. Same mm. thing with pr- shame about sexuality, shame about exploring your body, which is perfectly natural. Because guess what? I'll explore my body as much as I want to because it's mine. And I, it's safer to explore your own body than to let somebody else explore the damn thing. So take that one to the bank. And bullying, shaming, shaming someone for being a child and being a little bit 
more healthy looking and not skinny. I know we got into this, Gina, both by both of us have been into that of like, just because you're not as skinny as your siblings and the rest of the world and how yep. your mom wants to feel skinny doesn't mean you're fat. <laughs> I was dragged to the doctor at age eight and then overtly put on a diet at age eight. I can't. I, I was telling another friend about it yesterday. She's like, that's not normal. No one should be on a diet at age eight. If there's and this is the big question, which is really fascinating to me right now, that the epidemic we have in the United States with obesity can be directly tied. Like obesity is not an eating thing. Eating disorders are not really an eating thing. It's a control thing. And so there was a, there's some really fascinating research about obesity where people feel they feel that thing about safety you just mentioned. Maybe they were abused as a child and they feel safe by hiding behind this outside persona that protects them because they don't they like a child that might have been molested by their father when they're young the last thing they want someone to think is hey that that one looks good like that there's this crazy research on hiding because of shaming oh my god i can go to (laughs) there's so much here yeah so shaming could be so many things just that feeling of shame. You can go down, go get some Brene Brown. She oh, yeah. calls herself a shame researcher. So if you feel like shame may be a thing for you, please do not be ashamed of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> like literally, well, here's, I think another your important fault. piece of this is that, you know, I remember when I went in, when I started seeing <laughs> our mutual therapist that all my friends go to, the first time I, I went to her was to prepare me because she's like, what's your goal? I'm like, to prepare me to leave my husband, my first husband. And the first thing she said to me in that first session was, I know you you think you're really confident and you come in here with a lot of confidence, but you have no self-worth. And I was like, what? What? Are you mad? And then she had me read some research on it. I was like, damn, I had no idea. And I share that because you might not realize you have issues with shame or issues with rejection or issues with abandonment, you might not even realize what that means. And so it can't hurt to learn more about that. Yeah. And it's a good thing too. What came to my mind when you were saying that, Gina, is when I used to be in real estate, I know a few people, and you know it if you're in real estate, there's ladies and gentlemen out there that come across so friggin' cocky and confident and like badass of the world. And I would be, I would aspire to that. Like, I wish I could be that confident. Those people may, or they may be that confident, but they may also have self-worth issues that they have to create this persona that's so bigger than life. To survive. To survive how they really feel on the inside. And you, we've all heard about it. I mean, take Robin Williams as a great example. And he had a lot of underlying issues, but he was so joyous and funny and amazing and creative on the outside. And he was so dark and just broken on the inside. So we have to be able to try to begin to see everyone that's like that. Like I'm the same. I'm pretty come across pretty confident and pretty successful and pretty like badass. And some days I'm getting better at because I'm unraveling it on purpose. But I've been in the darkest of the darkest place. These young, these two, a couple of young ladies I was meeting with yesterday, they're like, oh my God, I love you here. And I'm like, I know, isn't it fucking so great? I had it in a vision and I'm just killing it. And they're like, how are you like that? I'm like, 
because no one is like that. And we should be so proud of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Taking me 47 years to know that I truly am a badass. And yet I understand where you are because it's so dark and feels like you'll never get out of that deep, dark hole. I understand it because I've been there. And that's why I went through it is so I can get here and I can help you to know that there's a way out. Last of the primary five imprints, and then we can just keep on riffing, is primary absence of presence or absence of presence of... What is that one? Because I forgot what that was. I mean, I think so by this then one I is was actually, mentally drained. It's my, yeah, this one's actually my biggest one that I think I have the biggest things to work through. It's... So you're the little kid and you just draw drew this cool little drawing of like a ladybug. And you run over to your dad who just got home from work to show him. And he's like, yeah. And he's in his phone or he's behind the newspaper and he just doesn't. And so what you learn in this primary imprint of trauma is that you're unlovable. Because the love that you desire is standing right in front of you and they just aren't equipped to give it to you at that moment or at all because of whatever they're going through. The absence of presence of love is the imprint that happens because it's not because your mom doesn't love you. It's because she is doing the best she can surviving her own wounds and she just isn't capable of giving you that love. She's alcoholic. She's overworked and overstressed because of money. She is overwhelmed by all the other five kids. She is not happy in her marriage for whatever reason. She is not able to give you the love that you want. There's the other thing is that the perception from the child is different than what is happening. the parent thinks. Like the parent can think that they're doing their best by you, even really consciously. But you as a child may want a hug more than it may be your love language. You just need a hug. And your mom's like, I love you. Yeah, go ahead. You're good. It's just the absence of presence of love in the form that you needed at that time and so, the lens that you're looking through. So so that's really interesting, too. So, again, tying in, tying any of this back to our careers and our business lives and our sales lives, some salespeople may need a bigger hug, so to speak, the, metaphorically, right? When they've done a great job, they might need a hug or a way to go. Good job. And... If you were lacking that in your childhood, that could show up in your adulthood in how you're performing. And again, it's not necessarily you're you got a manager who's an ass. It's because you haven't resolved these issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, your manager might be an ass, but I don't. I don't. Yeah. Know. But if your manager is an ass, then ask yourself what happened to you to make you this way, right? And also be able to see that. So a manager of a sales team has to, because they have to survive also, because they're answering to somebody unless they're the boss. They have to figure out a way to communicate that's systematic because they may have a huge sales team. So it's got to be systematic so that they don't die. (laughs) And it may not be what is serving you as an individual. And also a hug is not really necessarily appropriate in a sales environment because it's not a family. Of- well, I meant a metaphorical. Metaphorical. Hug. But so they may not, if they're super emotionally intelligent, which if they need, if you are a manager and you need emotional intelligence, then go to Sales Gravy University and 
do a course with Gina and you'll always learn some. Do you have a specific course on emotional I, intelligence yet? I personally do not, but we did actually just release our first sales EQ boot camp. So nice. Yeah. So that, you could check that there. out. Check out at salesgravy.university. Also, so just know that. And you also, as a salesperson, if you need to be nurtured, then don't be a baby about it. Just be learn to be direct. Don't be a victim. Be a victor and say, hey, manager, ma'am, sir, I know about myself that I'm the type of person that I really could use this kind of coaching, this kind of training. I could really, I because they don't know, like having managed a team before, I don't know if you need me to be a hard ass. I just know that's what works for me. What works for me is to give me a deadline and tell me to get on it and giddy up. That's what works for me. So a lot of times what works for that sales manager is what worked for them and it may not work for you. So stand your ground and be professional in your presentation as not that they're doing wrong, but this is what I need as a salesperson if you would be so willing to help me in this way. And they may or may not. Which requires you to be self-aware, which requires you to know what you need and know what your triggers are and do the work to understand how you need to be managed. Yeah, I can help you. (laughs) Rachel can definitely help you. So I want to segue into and then get ready to wrap up. For those who didn't hear the last episode, obviously go back and watch it. But what I'd like you to do is give us a just a quick summary of what is breathwork and why to do it. And then the other paths. So I did the trauma one. What are the other paths? And just a quick summary on what you would encounter through those other paths. Okay. So breathwork, what is breathwork is a big question because breathwork as a topic is basically just an awareness of your breath and how it can serve you, how your breath can help you upregulate or activate and energize you, downregulate or calm you, how the breath can balance you, how you can activate and get jazzed up, or you can also go into rest and digest. So that is what is breath work as a practice. So there's a ton of different being able. It's being able to understand how to use your breath. How to use your breath to your advantage in that moment. Yes. Okay. On a next level, a transformational breathwork journey is about a 45-minute block of time where you will breathe a conscious, connected breathing technique that will be more intense. And I was thinking this morning, I just came up with this. It, I'm going to put, I'm putting this together starting this morning. Lie still cardio. How good does that sound? Yeah. Laying yeah. still cardio. When you you mentioned cardio to me, I'm like, what is she talking about? And I felt like I was I did a workout. Right. It is a it is not woo woo relaxation breathing when you do a transformational breathwork journey. It's lie still cardio. You are breathing heavy as if you're like doing cardio. So that's what I tell my athletes. Towards the end, I was like, lean into this as if it's a cardio (laughs) session because you are actually burning more calories. That's why lie still cardio works. You're burning. You're doing more energy output by breathing heavier. That's all you're doing with cardio. And in that, going back to what we talked about, you shift into this transient hypofrontality and you go into theta brainwave state and you're in the subconscious. There you can address limiting beliefs. You can address past trauma. You can address some blocks in yourself 
you can uncover all kinds of magical unicorn shit in there if you are willing. And even if you're not willing, the breath is the medicine. And if you, as long as you're focused on your breathing, something's going to happen. That's all I can say. The So when you do it, if you do a transformational breathwork journey with me, you need to allow about an hour and a half to hear the intro so you know all the details of what you're getting into and also some time after the breathing to integrate. Because for some people, like Gina's case, you can't stop crying for a while. You got to let that stuff integrate. You do not want to go jump onto a sales call block after something like this. You want There's a lot that can come up. And there's generally, if you're doing it right, there's a lot that will come up and most of it will be unexpected and you want to give yourself some time to process. My core four journeys, if you were to join me for a month commitment or a 90-day commitment would be four journeys once a week because you don't want to be doing these too many times a week. The first one is a journey for stress and anxiety, which a lot of us experience in this world. The journey to address the five primary trauma imprints. A journey for reframing the self-image which started as kind of reframing your body image because of all my past struggles with my body image. But I think that a lot of people struggle with not only just your physical body image, but your self-image, how you show up. So there's which reframing the body I, I guess that would tie in really well with, with imposter syndrome. Yeah. I did a journey with a gentleman this weekend and he actually, I gave him the choice of the four and he wanted reframing the self-image. And I was like, Oh, I thought it was like a girl thing. And it's not. Um, he yeah. didn't have a lot to share, which is cool because I didn't I was like preparing myself that he wouldn't share a lot about what happened to him. But he keeps coming back and saying positive things and just like dripping a few things. But it was interesting to lead a man through that. And then the fourth one is the journey for awakening. Yeah, what is and that? So that one's becoming my favorite, actually, because what is an awakened person like? What does it mean when you're awake? When you're awakened, you're someone that really, truly feels connected, feels a larger connected connectedness to what is and what is, woo. What is it is woo. What is expansive as hell? Sounds and like existential transcendental, existential, yeah. Yeah, something. something. Yeah. It's something. And also a feeling you might, an awakened person can just feel a lot of things. You can feel question, questioning all your beliefs, questioning what your path is, questioning your relationships, questioning everything. Mm. So kind of questioning getting authority, maybe getting clarity, getting clarity on who you truly are, who you know you are, who you truly want to be and become. And there's some, it's a really cool journey. It's a little bit longer just a slight little bit longer because it's a deeper dive into the construct of our society, the construct that you've created for yourself, and then diving to who you truly, really are. Do you have so a do you have a a recommendation of okay, if you decide you're going to do all four, you should follow a certain path? Does it matter? I started to think that I'll lay it in a matter. I think that. The stress and anxiety one is just an immediate thing that we all need. It's also a good kind of, it's not as deep a dive. It's just like addressing how to 
manage your anxiety better. So that one's a good introductory one, especially if you're like a non-believer skeptic. Okay. Then the trauma one is a good one because it can really address what the heck is wrong and why you may have this damaged self-image, mm-hmm. which is why I follow with it's this you will know that you're damaged in this self-image of yourself and we want to reframe it and then move into awakening. That said, if any of those speaks to you and resonates, there's no reason why we couldn't shuffle the deck. I yeah. don't see that there's no Again, there's no limit to how there's no limit to outer space, but there's no limit to inner space. There's no limit to how deep that you can go and how much more of yourself you can find, which is the coolest. So I'll do anxiety next. Got it. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So I just needed. That was a you question. I thought it was a sales (laughs) question. No, it it was (laughs) a question if somebody wanted to follow along and kind of deep dive, which brings me to they you go through these journeys they can continue to work with you but can we get to a place where we can actually start guiding ourselves in breath work absolutely i just was speaking to a woman who she's on her third journey with me and she was asking about that and i'm like absolutely there's you we're actually trained by my master brian he's like he challenged us to take someone on a journey and not say a thing at all And the reason is that the breath is your medicine. You have this already. And there's some schools of thought, like Stanislav Grof would be like, don't ever try this on your own. I will challenge that in that there's nothing, there's a scientific study out there. And if you'd like, I can share it. They did did breath work with 11,000 psychiatric patients to see if there would be any negative effects of doing breath work. 11,000. And we're talking like, true mental illness, schizophrenic, like psychotic break type of people. 11,000. Can, can you send me a link to that? And we'll put it in the I show will. notes. Because, because it's important to know that zero of these people had a negative side effect. 80% I want to get, I'm, statistics are all guesses. So I'm going to guess it was like 80%. Most of these individuals had a positive outcome. Some of them didn't, they didn't have an outcome because they might've just tried it once and just didn't have an outcome. But zero had a negative outcome. It is your breath. You can self-regulate. So what I'm saying to answer your question in a simple way, Jean, is yeah, I've been thinking about it, like share my playlist with you and just what you have to do is approach it with like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to breathe and lean into it and see what happens. Because like Stanislav Grof's high polytropic breathwork sessions will go for like three hours that's how long they guide and they push. So you can go. Guess what? You can breathe as long as you like. Because <laughs> when you stop breathing, you're pretty much fucked. So, yeah. And you can look. <laughs> so I do think that you could, you can do a one minute, 20 connected breaths and feel something. Mm-hmm. That's like a quick selling point. So if you're a non-believer, just reach out to me and I'll guide you through that one minute of 20 connected breaths and you'll see you'll feel something there there you go um and we'll as usual put in the show notes how to reach out to rachel to do that i do want to point out one other thing that because you you mentioned the like the challenge to not guide or not say anything towards the end after i like couldn't stop crying like for the longest time like you just said and did nothing and i'm like 
how long does she leave me hanging out here? Like, I it took me a while to like settle into it because I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, there's a reason why she's doing this. And maybe these are my control issues. I'm like, why am I still out here alone? I don't hear her voice. Oh, God, that is totally what you're supposed to experience. Right. So there was that. The other thing I wanted to ask. That was on purpose, by the way. Okay. Like some people like me, I want you to please let me feel it for a while. Like there's like three songs. I did tell you that I was going to leave you. And I forgot that part. Right. Because that's your internal like. Please, somebody come get me. I was having abandonment issues. It's Thank cool. you. Um, and the other thing that I noticed, so I'm curious on your song playlist, which was pretty powerful. And so I just because the artist and creative in me, like and having produced shows and the power of music, I noticed that to be a really big piece of it. Like, I don't know. I'm, I know that it's intentional. I'm guessing it's intentional. Very um, and the subliminal effect it's having. But one thing that really came to my mind was a song that to me was a Christian based song. Oceans at the end. Was it? Yep. And yet I was like, this is interesting because I have a very strong faith. I'm like, this is very much a Jesus Christ song going on here. I'm like, did she intentionally do that? But at the same time, it's not saying Jesus Christ. It just has a higher power. But I'm like, did she choose it because she knows I'm a Christian? <laughs> so I was totally curious about that and had to ask yeah. the question. So indeed, there is a an arc. There's an arc that we take you on in these type of journeys. I'm taking it. It starts kind of slow because you don't want to breathe too fast. You'll go right out into land or you'll fall asleep. You want to start slow on the breathing. Then there's an intensity that builds, especially to the somatic release. In the form of a scream. I want to ask you about that. I'll put mm-hmm. a question back to you about this. Yeah. There's a definite rise and then there's a fall because you once you reach the height of the musical climax or the emotional climax, so to speak, there is a definite fall. You want to take people, bring people back from the edge. Yeah. And um, so what's really interesting about that song, Oceans, I don't remember the artist, but some of you guys in the Christian world may be familiar she never actually says anything about Jesus. It's no. not, it is a Christian song, but the reason, and the first time that I heard that song on a journey, I thought the same thing. I was like, why are we bringing Jesus into this? The interesting thing is that is the higher power that comes to you. And I'm actually not a super religious person at this point in my life, but she only is really talking about the greater presence. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, so it may be to whatever, but I thought the same thing. I was like, "Yeah, my I didn't think this was the Jesus journey, but suddenly it is." But it because that's and what, that's what I found interesting because it doesn't have to be a Jesus journey. It that's right. became a Jesus journey for me. Right? Um, there's no Jesus spiritual. Christ mentioned, but there's a it's a higher power. So it depends on how you perceive right. the lyrics of the song and having it positioned at the end as your. Uh-huh. As you're coming down from the edge, right? Because you're edging through this and you're like, you're coming down and you're like recovering from the release. And then that happens. I was like, oh my God, this it's is also just such a beautiful song. So beautiful. It's such an unbelievable. It's and you know so what beautiful. I was thinking yesterday when I was on my way back, I had to drop Roxy off because Roxy went to on a little trip with her friend. And then I came back and guided this woman on her third journey. And I was like, so excited because 
I get to like listen to awesome music and guide people to their inner truth. And it's so incredible to hear what everybody has to say. And that's what I have been led to do. It's so great. Like I get to listen to and find new awesome music. So great. And it was that was cool. I had to bring that to your attention. So final piece, the scream. What did you want to ask me about the scream at the end? So just to explain to people what that is, most journeys, not all journeys, transformational breathwork journeys will include a build up of this emotional experience to a somatic energetic release in the form of a scream. Now, screaming is not really super accepted by our society, which is what we cue is like, if you don't feel like you should scream or want to scream, you probably need it. So do it. And I'm this, I am this person as I have had to, it's taken me a pretty long time to actually physically scream but we build you to the scream. And the reason is it's an, a full energetic physical release of emotion. So I'm curious, did you actually scream, Gina? And how did it feel? So there's so many things around that. I screamed without letting out a voice. And I was happy that your instruction said have a pillow because my stepson happened to be in the house and my husband was at work. And I'm like, if you screamed, yeah, that's why I cue a pillow. Like if you have people in the house or even pets, you want to scream into the pillow so you don't freak them out. Oh my God, she's dying. I do believe that my dog was shaking by the time it was done because she was still in the room. But I did not want to actually physically scream Mm. and have my stepson be like, what the? So I would definitely, if there's another scream involved in a journey, I would probably... I probably would try to schedule it when there's no one in the house so that I could actually fully release. So I screamed without letting out the voice, but ultimately what happened because I couldn't fully do it, that's when the crying Mm. started. That's when the uncontrollable crying started because it was the only way I could release and my body wanted to release. So on a side note, I'll just leave it at this. How do I say this? Because I never know who might be listening to this show. Sometimes you have experience not making noise because there are other people in the house. So just leave it yeah. at that. Yeah, that I is- feel that. <laughs> so- and it makes a difference. So it makes a difference. Example, you- last night was the first time in a long time that my children were both away and my husband and I had time alone. And then you can scream as loud as you want and I'll Which leave is- it at that. Which but is amazing. It, I, I, yeah, it's a different experience. Sometimes being quiet is a different experience. But I will. I also will shift it back to what you just said because most of the time I do that as well, Gina. I feel the physical release, but the scream is silent, which is really interesting because we're still holding back. And now I do know that I yeah. did scream once when no one was in the house because I totally also get that. Yeah. And my dog came running over. I was like not my eyes were closed because you want to keep your eyes closed the whole time for the full effect. But I could feel her jump, like put her paws up on the bed, like everything okay in here? <laughs> the animal, your animals will definitely feel your energy. It's, force it's pretty, I think it's pretty primal. And so if someone can yeah. be able yeah. to tap into that and be able to scream, I think that's an important piece of it. I remember, I remember primal screaming when my father died. Right. Like I had a primal scream at that. And my brother had a primal scream all night, like the night my father died. And I could hear it from my bedroom. Right. That 
really, you need to release. You need to release and you do that. Here's a really interesting point that I'll make. I know we're trying to wrap up, but so in our training from my master, Brian, we talk about if, especially in the physical room, when you're guiding people in a room, which it is a more powerful experience to be in a room with someone, even in a Zoom room with other people, I've had a power, more powerful experience than being on my own. Just a side note, because you're more energetic with others. We are trained what to do if someone goes into a real emotional experience. And he said that the worst one that's ever worst, the most intense, let's call it, that ever happened was this woman that started screaming and they were doing all the things that you do to try to bring someone out of it. Nothing. Ten minutes of primal screaming this woman did. And every time there was even something remotely approaching that experience that she had and people with a big experience, they always come out of it saying it was the most powerful and most necessary experience they've ever had. She needed to scream for 10 minutes for the lifetime of what she'd been holding. Yeah. And the fact that you and I are still in that place of not screaming it out means there's some stuff that we probably need to scream out. Yeah. There's it's very cathartic. It's sort of like crying. You have to like just let this shit out of your system. Okay, so we got to wrap up because this is a long episode, but I think it's helpful. Again, why does this matter in your business or sales life? Because all of this shit shows up and all of it impacts how you do business. And I think this is just another tool in your toolbox that you could potentially explore to take your level to the next height as a high performer, if that's your goal. And uh, you can reach out to Rachel for that. And we'll put that in the show notes. There's another thought I had. And I can't remember. Oh, I, you and I briefly talked about how this might show up in a group setting. You and I are part of a group of rock stars. We'll leave it at that. We're part of a collaborative of high performers where we'll be in infusing this in that group and people in that group can experience it in a group setting. So I'm going to, I can't wait to see what that looks like in that coming up, but we got to wrap up. So thank you for bringing me through the journey. Thank you for the work that you're doing and sort of advancing me in the woo because that's cool. And reach out you guys to Rachel if you want to at least kind of look into it and try it out. I highly recommend it. But we got to wrap up. Thank you listeners for listening to this episode. I forgot to actually officially start the episode, but that's what Rachel and I do. So I can't, I got, I forgot to mention Sales Gravy, our sponsor. Thank you for sponsoring this show. And maybe Rachel can bring some breathwork courses to Sales Gravy. We'll have to talk to Jeb about that. that. You guys, if you'd like me to bring a breathwork course, to sales gravy, then the best way to do that is to start emailing Jeb like gangbusters and be like, we would need Rachel to do this or I will absolutely. And I will see I could talk forever about this. You know how Jeb is. Just create the course and then show up with it and he'll say that's how that works. I have so so many things. I'm working on all the things, you guys. One one day, maybe Rachel will have a course at sales gravy. In the meantime, there are I don't know. I've lost track. Almost 300 courses, probably. It's getting close to 300 courses at Sales Gravy University. Check that out at salesgravy.university. And if you've never tried one of our courses, you can do so with the code FREECOURSE. If you've not tried any ever, 
check that out. So it's salesgravy.university. And for more about this show, women your mother warned you about.com. As always, Rachel, my recovering co-host, thank you for being on this episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About. Bye, Warners. Bye, Warners. Bye, Warners.